0: Day 49 of Heart Dive 365, I'm your Bible study friend, Kanoy. Welcome to the Heart Dive Podcast. Well, today, the Lord continues laying down some specifics in regards to His holiness, His laws, His regulations. In the book of Leviticus, we're in chapters 16 through 18 today. But before we get started, if you could please help us out by hitting that like button if you're part of the Heart Die fam. And if you are just joining us, we welcome you here. Let us know in the comments below where you're watching from in the world. And we're so glad that you are here. We hope that this Bible study will be able to bless you today in some way and that the Lord will speak to your heart. And that hopefully, this can become a part of your life as well. If you have any questions at all, make sure to check out our show notes or our description box below the video, or you can check out our website, heartdive.org. Otherwise, we are reading in the ESV translation today by Crossway. And before we get into it, let's go ahead and pray and prepare our hearts. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. You are holy God. We're learning more and more about your holiness and what that truly means. We hear the word holy thrown around so much, God, but I just pray that we really gain a true and full understanding of what that is today. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Sometimes we think that we know what is best for our lives, God, but you know it's better than we know ourselves. And so we just put our trust fully in you today and allowing you, Holy Spirit, to have your way within us. Thank you, Lord, for all of your grace and your mercies that are new this morning. And I just pray, Lord, that we will approach this word today with a freshness, with a newness in our hearts, in our eyes, in our ears. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you allow us to see, hear, and receive whatever it is that you want to speak to us today. Forgive us of our sins, Lord. I pray that you'll clear out anything that is hindering our fellowship with you. Also help us to make things right with others. If we are holding any grudges or if we have any unforgiveness in our hearts, I pray that we will lay down our gift right now at the altar, go make it right, and be able to come back so that we can worship freely. Please don't lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and power and glory forever. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've been talking a lot about this day of atonement here, and now the Lord is going to establish it, also known as Yom Kippur, which is still celebrated in the Jewish faith today. And of course, atonement, once again, means to repay a debt or to purify or to cover. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, when they drew near before the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, your brother, do not come at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat that is on the ark so that he may not die. So remember, his sons brought a profane fire or an unauthorized fire to the altar, and so the Lord is like, listen, I don't want Aaron to make that same mistake, so let him know that he is not to come before the most holy place because remember, the high priest is the only one who can go beyond the veil into the most holy place, and so God is going to give him or remind him of the regulations before he enters. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. But in this way Aaron shall come into the holy place with a bull from the herd for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He shall put on the holy linen coat and shall have the linen undergarment on his body, and he shall tie the linen sash around his waist and wear the linen turban. These are the holy garments. He shall bathe his body in water and then put them on. And he shall take from the congregation of the people of Israel two male goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. So these are not his typical priestly garments here, the ones that are for beauty and glory. These are simple garments of humility. So there are those reminders that God is wanting to let Aaron know how to approach his presence, and it must be done with the utmost care and not in the way that his sons did. And this got me thinking about how casually we treat the presence of God sometimes. You know, Jesus has freed us from these kinds of rituals and all of that legalism, but that was never intended to free us from the way that we treat God. God's holiness with reverence. And this morning, whenever I remembered this, I just bowed my head and I said, Lord, forgive me. And I just wept asking for that forgiveness because God hasn't changed. Yeah, Jesus gave us access to the Father, where we can come boldly into the throne room of grace, and He won't deny us, nor will He strike us down. But it's kind of like a friend who introduces you to their parents. And just because they've opened the door to meet their parents, it doesn't mean that you get to start ordering their parents around. No, we still treat them with the utmost respect. And I believe that we can experience so much more of the fullness of God's presence, whenever we get this, when we understand it, and what it truly means to fear and reverence Him. I guarantee that on the day that we are standing before Him, we will all fall onto our knees. But why wait until that day? Why not experience Him now in His fullness? So, heart check. How do you treat God's holiness? Do you approach Him with the utmost care in your heart? Verse 6 Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. So he has to deal with his sin first. Then he shall take the two goats and set them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Aaron shall cast lots over the two goats one lot for the Lord and the other lot for Azazel. Now, this word here was a little obscure, but traditionally it means scapegoat or it could be the name of a demon. And Aaron shall present the goat on on which the lot fell for the Lord and use it as a sin offering but the goat on which the lot fell for Azazel shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement over it that it may be sent away into the wilderness to Azazel so he's brought his sin offering now he's bringing these two goats which is very similar to the two birds as we will see in just a moment that one of the birds will be for an offering or a sacrifice and one will be kept alive the same way that his sons did. So, this censer would have been like a smoking incense dish, kind of like a burner. And so, the smoke was thought to have shielded them from the ark and the presence of God. And he shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the front of the mercy seat on the east side. And in front of the mercy seat, he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. So, remember the number seven is the number for completion or wholeness or perfection. And if you look at the number 7, and this representing the blood on the mercy seat, Jesus actually bled from seven different places. He bled from the crown of thorns on his head. He bled in his two hands and his two feet. He bled from the whippings on his back, and he also bled from the spear going into the side. So, that's an interesting correlation there. Verse 15, Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people, and bring its blood inside the veil, and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull, sprinkling it over the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. Thus, he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the people of Israel and because of their transgressions, all their sins. So, notice the three different things that they name here, uncleanness, transgressions, and sin. So, what those three things mean? Well, uncleanness would have been general uncleanness or maybe even sins that are caused by neglect or maybe unintentional sins. Transgressions is when you cross over the boundary line and sin is whenever you miss the mark, but essentially this is saying the fullness of sin. And so he shall do for the tent of meeting, which dwells in them in the midst of their uncleanness. No one may be in the tent of meeting from the time he enters to make atonement in the holy place until he comes out and has made atonement for himself and for his house and for all of the assembly of Israel. So on this day, this is the one day where the hustle and bustle of the tabernacle or the temple is not happening. Everybody is at home, resting. No one is bringing sacrifices except for the high priest. Then he shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it and shall take some of the blood of the bull and some of the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar all around. And he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times and cleanse it and consecrate it from the uncleanness of the people of Israel. So the reason why he had to do this is because it was thought that the sins of the people, whenever they would bring their sacrifices, actually defiled the entire tabernacle. So, him putting the blood on all of the holy items and within the temple is consecrating it, cleaning it, so that their ministry would not be ineffective. Because sin can affect your ministry. I mean, if you are living in sin, in habitual sin, hiding things, and you're still trying to minister, God can still use you. But how much more effective you would be if you were freely able to worship without that sin hindering you. And when he has made an end of atoning for the holy place and the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall present the live goat and Aaron shall lay both of his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions and all their sins. So, this was a public event that he would do this in front of the people so they could see all of their sins being transferred to this live goat. And he shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in readiness. The goat shall bear all their iniquities on itself to a remote area, and he shall let the goat go free in the wilderness. So we already had the one goat, which is symbolic of the innocent goat taking on the sin in place of all of the people that went on the altar as the burnt offering. And now this live goat that is set free into the wilderness is where we get the term scapegoat. So for us, we look at that in terms of conveniently placing the blame on someone else who is likely innocent in the matter. And this must have been such a day of relief to watch all their sins being transferred to this GOAT but it was temporary because they would need to do this every single year. And while Jesus atones for and forgives all of our sin, He ain't no temporary scapegoat. I mean, we don't get to just set it and forget it thinking that we have another goat full of grace on the way, or like He is our personal dishwasher, so we get to just dirty our clean plates whenever we want. And I know some parents feel this way, like we're personal dishwashers, because we need to deal with that sin, meaning we get rid of it. And that was the whole point of this. sin was to be taken into the wilderness, never to return. So, heart check. Are you scapegoating your sins, or are you fully dealing with it at the altar so that it never returns? Verse 23, then Aaron shall come into the tent of meeting and shall take off the linen garments that he put on when he went into the holy place and shall leave them there. So, notice that he put on the garments when he came in, and then when he leaves, he takes off the garments as he exits. And so, this is symbolic of us also in our coming and going pleading the blood of Jesus. Whenever we begin our ministry, we begin with prayer. When we leave ministry, we end in prayer. So pray in, pray out, pray your day in, pray your day out. And he shall bathe his body in water in a holy place and put on his garments and come out and offer his burnt offering and the burnt offering of the people and make atonement for himself and for the people. And the fat of the sin offering, he shall burn on the altar. And he who lets the goat go to Azazel shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water. And afterwards, he may come into the camp. And the bull for the sin offering and the goat for the sin offering, whose blood was brought in to make atonement in the holy place, shall be carried outside the camp. Their skin and their flesh and their dung shall be burned up with fire. And he who burns them shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water. And afterward, he may come into the camp. And it shall be a statute to you forever that in the seventh month on the 10th day of the month, you shall afflict yourselves and shall do no work, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. So everyone is to rest on this day, even people who were not Israelites. If they're just passing through, they are not allowed to do any work and move around and do all the things that they would normally do. So what does afflict yourself mean? Well, this is the only day that would require fasting in Mosaic Law. So this is a day of fasting and rest. And so it would mean that we would examine ourselves, repent of our wrong actions and attitudes and seek forgiveness. Now today on Yom Kippur or the Day of Atonement, they don't even bathe. They don't put any oil on themselves. They don't wear shoes and there's no sex on the Day of Atonement. So essentially what this is saying is that all of these sacrificial actions that you're going to do without true repentance, none of it is going to matter. So that is why they would have to take this day to examine what's going on on the inside and confess and repent. And so this takes place somewhere between mid-September, or mid-October, and the number seven is the number, again, for perfection, the number 10, the number for the law, and so this is reflective of the fact that we cannot keep the law perfectly, which is why atonement is needed. This is why we needed a Messiah, why we needed a Savior, because we would never be able to uphold this. Verse 30, for on this day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you. You shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest to you. So, this term, solemn rest, means that it is more sacred and more strict than the weekly Sabbath. And you shall afflict yourselves. It is a statute forever. And the priest who is anointed and consecrated as priest in his father's place shall make atonement, wearing the holy linen garments. He shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary, and he shall make atonement for the tent of meeting, and for the altar, and he shall make atonement for the priests, and for all the people of the assembly. And this shall be a statute forever for you, that atonement may be made for the people of Israel once in the year because of all their sins. And Aaron did as the Lord commanded Moses. So now as we move into chapter 17 these chapters 17 through 26 it was what is known as the holiness code it's kind of the way to live a holy life so starting off here in verse one, the place of sacrifice. Why is this important? Well, at this time, pagan offerings were done all over the place. They had shrines and altars set up on hilltops and places in the wilderness. So God is saying, "Uh uh-uh, you guys aren't going to be doing this all over the place. We're going to establish a place because you are set apart. You are different from these people. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and his sons and to all the people of Israel and say to them, this is the thing that the Lord has commanded. If any one of the house of Israel kill, an ox or a lamb or a goat in the camp, or kills it outside the camp, and this is specifically speaking of killing an animal for sacrifice, not just hunting, and does not bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting to offer it as a gift to the Lord in front of the tabernacle of the Lord. So that is the place they're supposed to bring it. Blood guilt shall be imputed to that man. He has shed blood, and that man shall be cut off from among his people. So again, blood is the life source of an animal, which is why he would inc- that blood guilt. This is to the end that the people of Israel may bring their sacrifices that they sacrifice in the open field, that they may bring them to the Lord, to the priest at the entrance of the tent of meeting, and sacrifice them as sacrifices of peace offerings to the Lord. And the priest shall throw the blood on the altar of the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting, and burn the fat for a pleasing aroma to the Lord. So they shall no more sacrifice their sacrifices to goat demons after whom they whore. So these goat demons are are who some of the pagan cultures would sacrifice their offerings. And when it talks about them whoring, of course, we're speaking of spiritual adultery here. This shall be a statute forever for them throughout their generations. So, they likely learned this type of sacrifice whenever they were in Egypt, when they were living in Goshen. And why is the place of worship so important? Well, let's take a look here. It's not because God is stuffy and He just wants to be a control freak. It is because He knows us better than we know ourselves. And He knows that we need structure. We need accountability. We need to be prayed over. We need people to be in fellowship with. Remember, from the beginning of time, He told us it is not good for man to be alone, so He knew that we needed to have a place where we could gather together, which later on we will see the scripture that says, do not forsake the gathering of the brethren. So, we need to be coming into fellowship, whether that means you going to a corporate church every week, or you're coming to Bible study every day, or whatever that looks like to you, because I understand that for every person, it's very different. Some people can't even physically go to a church. Some people have to just attend church online. So, this is your own conviction that you deal with, but we have to be doing some because we need that accountability. We need to be able to pray with and pray for others. And we cannot just be doing this on our own because we know that as soon as people start following their own heart, worshiping however they please, that is where the beginning of idolatry is. And we see that throughout the Bible, people doing right in their own eyes. And that's where the breakdown of society begins to happen. And while having many denominations, I think is a good thing because it allows for people to be able to find Their place of worship that they feel comfortable in, or to find the space where their beliefs align with that theology. I also wonder if it would have been a lot easier if we just had one place of worship, because we wouldn't have the ability to find flaws in all of the different denominations and to sit there and criticize all of these pastors that are out there. And like, if we just had that one place or we had no other choice, that might have been a good thing, but we're going to glory in the fact that God has given us many places of worship that we can choose from, find the good in it. But I just thought that was interesting as I was thinking about it. Verse eight, and you shall say to them, any one of the house of Israel or of the strangers who sojourn among them, who offers a burnt offering or sacrifice and does not bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting to offer it to the Lord, that man shall be cut off from his people. And remember, cut off actually means to either die or to be excommunicated. Verse 10, if anyone of the house of Israel or of the strangers who sojourn among them eats any blood, I will set my face against that person who eats blood and will cut him off from among his people. So, when God sets his face against someone, that means he rejects them. So, stopping here on the blood, understanding the blood once again, the Bible is so bloody, why do we got to talk about so much blood? Well, here's why. Again, life is in the blood, and this shows the seriousness of sin because the wages of sin. is death. So really, we should all be dead in our sin. But thank God, because the blood of Jesus is continually flowing, we get to live and we get to live for eternity. Verse 11, for the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. Well, is that not prophetic right there? He gave us Jesus on the altar to make that atonement for us, for it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. Therefore, I have said to the people of Israel, no person among among you shall eat blood neither shall any stranger who sojourns among you eat blood any one also of the people of Israel or of the strangers who sojourn among them who takes in hunting any beast or bird that may be eaten shall pour out its blood and cover it with the earth so when they would go hunting the reason why they would have to pour out the blood this was them saying they are honoring the life of that animal by pouring it out returning it to the ground and when it says to cover it with the earth that pretty much means to bury it, to bury that blood, which again would be an honorable thing. For the life of every creature is its blood. Its blood is its life. Therefore, I have said to the people of Israel, you shall not eat the blood of any creature for the life of every creature is its blood. Whoever eats it shall be cut off. And every person who eats what dies of itself, meaning of natural causes, or what is torn by beasts, whether he is a native or a sojourner, shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be Unclean until the evening. So they could eat animals that died by natural causes. The reason why they would be declared unclean is because this animal would not have been drained of its blood properly. And so they would be unclean until evening. This is probably the mildest of uncleanness to only be declared unclean until evening. But after they wash, they shall be clean. Verse 16, but if he does not wash them or bathe his flesh, he shall bear his iniquity, which means he will remain in his impurity. And now in chapter 18, needing some mature minds today. So, if you got littles, just a heads up here. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the people of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord your God. This word Lord, remember when you have the capital L and the smaller capital letters O-R-D, that means Yahweh or Jehovah. Y-H-W-H, you shall not do as they do in the land of Egypt where you lived, and you shall not do as they do in the land of Canaan. So basically, Canaan and Egypt were some of the more sophisticated societies, especially Egypt. And the more advanced that people were, the more immoral they were at the same time. And we see that even in society today. So he's saying, don't do as they do. Don't do what they do physically. Don't do what they do culturally. Don't do what they do religiously. To which I am bringing you, you shall not walk in their statutes. You shall follow my rules and keep my statutes and walk in them. I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules. If a person does them, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. So he's giving them a warning here. Listen, y'all are about to go into this land flowing with milk and honey. It is wonderful. I'm giving it to you as a gift but don't do what they do. And he's warning them over and over again because he knows what they're going to be facing, what they're going to be up against, and he knows their weaknesses. So when you hear a warning in your spirit from the Lord, when you are reading the Bible, and even if you don't know why he's warning you, take it to heart. Make sure you heed that warning because again, he knows what's up ahead. He knows what you're going to be facing. Verse six, none of you shall approach any one of his close relatives to uncover nakedness. So this is particularly speaking of incest, including relationships with family members by marriage. So uncovering nakedness basically means any sexual act. I am the Lord. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father, or his wife, because remember when you get married, the two become one. So, this is not speaking of a man sleeping with his father. I'm sure that's included if that was something that they were considering, but I think this is more so talking about you shall not sleep with your father's wife because they are one. Which is the nakedness of your mother? She is your mother. You shall not uncover her nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's wife, which includes Concubines or wives that he may have taken after the death of the mother, it is your father's nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your sister, your father's daughter, or your mother's daughter. So this includes half sisters, whether brought up in the family or in another home. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your son's daughter or of your daughter's daughter, for their nakedness is your own nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's wife's daughter, brought up in your father's family. So that includes even adopted children. Since she is your sister, you shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's sister. She is your father's relative. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your mother's sister for she is your mother's relative. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's brother. That is, you shall not approach his wife. She is your aunt. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your daughter-in-law. She is your son's wife. You shall not uncover her nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your brother's wife it is your brother's nakedness. So when they're saying it is your brother's nakedness, it is your father's nakedness, he's basically saying that person belongs to them because marriage is between one man, one woman, and they belong to each other for this. You shall not uncover the nakedness of a woman and her daughter. This could have possibly been speaking of widows who live with their daughters. And you shall not take her son's daughter or her daughter's daughter to uncover her nakedness. They are relatives. It is depravity. And you shall not take a woman as a rival wife to her sister, uncovering her nakedness while her sister is still alive. So this would have been the case for Leah and Rachel, even though they didn't violate this because this law wasn't put into place yet, but we saw the problems that came up from having those rival sisters as rival wives. You shall not approach a woman to uncover her nakedness while she is in her menstrual uncleanness. And you shall not lie sexually with your neighbor's wife, and so make yourself unclean with her. Well, that would be adultery anyway, so it's already forbidden, you shall not give any of your children to offer them to Moloch. And so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. So we'll learn more about Moloch in tomorrow's reading. But Moloch was the chief God of the Ammonites. And what they would do with Moloch is they would have this metal statue who had this big belly, and they would light a fire inside of the belly. And this God Moloch would have its arms out like this, and they would actually sacrifice their babies on this burning metal in the name of prosperity. They believed that they sacrificed their children, that they would be protected, and they would have prosperity, and they would do this while drumming so that they could drown out the screams and the cries of the baby. It's disgusting. It's sickening, I know, and I don't even like to talk about it, but we need to because the Bible obviously mentions it, and we need to know what it is and some of the detestable things that were taking place here. Verse 22, you shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. So, this is speaking of homosexuality sexuality. It was practiced in Canaanite religion and whenever God speaks of it as an abomination, an abomination actually is kind of like a worse sin. It is detestable in the eyes of God. And you shall not lie with any animal and so make yourself unclean with it. Neither shall any woman give herself to an animal to lie with it. It is perversion. This word perversion means confusion or insanity and it basically is saying anything that is out of the natural order of God, how he created it and intended it to be is perversion. Verse 24, do not make yourselves unclean by any of these things for by all these, the nations I am driving out before you have become unclean and the land became unclean so that I punished its iniquity and the land vomited out its inhabitants. So, Canaan is so defiled that it is actually vomiting out the people And if you look back in history, in civilizations and cultures like Rome and Greece, you will see that whenever they began to take these practices, normalize them, it became a part of their everyday life, that was the beginning of the end of their societies. And it wasn't because of these things, but these things were symptoms of what was going on on the inside already. The enemy knows that if he can break down families, which these practices will do, if he can emasculate men, if he can create upheaval in society where people are constantly against one another because this group over here believes that this is okay, and this group over here is saying no it's not, and they're just constantly at odds and fighting, that's the beginning of the end. Verse 26, but you shall keep my statutes and my rules and do none of these abominations, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. For the people of the land who were before you did all of these abominations so that the land became unclean, lest the land vomit out when you make it unclean as it vomited out the nation that was before you. For everyone who does any of these abominations, the persons who do them shall be cut off from among their people. So keep my charge never to practice any of these abominable customs that were practiced before you, and never to make yourselves unclean by them. I am the Lord your God. Now, I want to take a second to talk to people who may have found themselves in any one of these situations before. It is pretty common today in society, and so I don't want anybody to sit here and feel condemned by these words, because remember, Jesus died for every sin, every sin, your past, your present, even in your future, as long as you have come to Him with a true repentant heart. You have truly confessed, you have asked for forgiveness, and you have allowed His blood to wash you clean, to atone for your sins, to make that payment where you can find full forgiveness. So in reading this today, it is not intended to put condemnation on anybody. And I just want you to know that because I see people still struggling with some of these things today that happened in their past and it weighs on them, and I believe that that is the enemy who will continue to try to hold that over you so that he can keep you in bondage. But we have the ability to be free from that today, to be free from our past, to be free from any mistakes we may have made, to see this and say, man, I never knew that that was even wrong in the first place. I've been taught that it's okay, but now I see how God looks at it because it hasn't changed the way God looks at these things. He still looks at these things and wants us not to take part in it because these are moral Laws of purity, and he wants us to remain pure. He wants us to remain holy just as he is holy. So let's dive a little bit deeper. What does the Day of Atonement say about the gravity of sin? How do we continually purify ourselves today? How does sin affect the effectiveness of ministry? Does the place of worship matter today? How do you view the sanctity of life and the essence of it being in the blood? Do you believe the practices in chapter 18 are still detestable in the eyes of God? And how do you reconcile this with how society views them? So, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for another chance to view your holiness on a deeper level. Please forgive us, Lord, where we have not understood this in the past. Forgive us for the times we may have approached you so carelessly. We are so thankful that because of what Jesus did, we have unhindered access to you, but we know that your holiness has not changed, so that does not give us the freedom to disregard it. Just as we love our parents here on earth, yet still respect and honor them, even more so shall we be with you." Because we have the gift of freedom and friendship with You, we forget that You are still God, most holy and magnificent, full of wonder and glory, and worthy of all honor and praise. And so I pray that we have a greater understanding of this so that we will come back to revering You the way that we should. This isn't an act of legalism, but of holy fear. And I thank you, Jesus, for the payment you made once and for all, for all of our sin. I pray that we don't look at that payment as a clean plate that we get to dirty whenever we want because we have a dishwasher at our disposal. But may we understand the gravity of sin and that the wages of it is death and you died for us. And every single time we blatantly sin, it is as if we are crucifying you all over again. Oh, Lord, forgive us. Give us the strength to resist and walk away in the face of temptation. I pray that you will keep us from crossing over the line or missing the mark, intentionally or not. But thank you for your grace and forgiveness that you have lovingly given to us and separated us from our sin as far as the East is from the West. And while that scapegoat is a picture of what you've done, I pray we never take advantage of it. Thank you, Lord, for helping us to understand that sanctity of life that is in the blood. Thank you, Jesus, for pouring yours out so that we could have eternal life. While you have given us the freedom to worship anywhere, I pray that you will speak to each of us individually about what that looks like in our lives. We don't wanna live by feelings or by following our hearts. We wanna follow after you and what you desire for our lives. Even though we are not held to legalistic rituals anymore, we still have directives through your Holy Spirit. So please don't allow us to ignore that. Thank you for every boundary you have ever placed in our midst. I pray that we understand that it is always for our protection and not to suppress us. We know that you know us far better than we know ourselves and you know the implications and consequences that these things bring, both personally and societally. I pray that we can be strong in our convictions of knowing what your truth says but i also pray that we will not be unloving toward anyone who may practice these things we are not the judge of them or anyone else we are never called to cast stones and we have our own planks that need to be dealt with in our eyes so we don't even have the time to be worried about other people's splinters but keep us accountable to your commands for they are righteous and holy just as you are and because so We desire to be the same. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Heaven and salvation is a divine gift that is given to us by grace. None of us deserve it. In fact, the Bible says that the wages of sin is death and every single one of us have fallen short and then we desperately need someone to pay that price. And Jesus did it. He didn't do it because we are righteous on our own merit. He did it because he loves us and he wants to spend eternity with us. But it won't happen if we don't receive him before we leave this earth as Lord and savior. Hell is a very real thing. And there is no second chance after we take our last breath here. So I wanna be able to give someone the opportunity today who is saying, I'm ready. I've never given my life to Christ. I don't know where I'm gonna end up after I die but I don't wanna live another day without knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt where I am going to end up. I see now that this is real and I want to believe. So if that is you, we're gonna say a prayer and I'm gonna put the words on the screen so that you can say them audibly with your mouth because the Bible says that when you believe and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and that he died and rose again, then you will be saved. So we're gonna say this prayer together. Believe it in your heart, speak it with your mouth, and know that this is indeed the day of your salvation. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Jesus, thank you for dying for me. I believe that you came, you died, and you rose again. I confess my sins to you today, and I turn from them, and I now live my life for you. I know that I am forgiven of all my sins, so I receive you now, as Lord and Savior, and I belong to you, Jesus. I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.